Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. And I'm Ed. I'm Chris. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Chris. Thank you. It's great to see you and welcome back to Roundhill Radio. You've been a guest. It's my second uh, time. Thank you. Before. That's great. So, Chris, you are a retired pastor and you're mm-hmm. ordained in the United Church of Christ. Is that right? Or is it the uh, in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ? Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are the co founder of God Before Guns and currently serve as the executive director. So, and actually, how long have you served in that capacity? Our organization was founded in 2013. Okay. All right. Great. Well, we're so glad to have you as a guest. And uh, and one of the things that I wanted to, to start off with in terms of our conversation was just give us a sense, Chris, about how God Before Guns got started. What, what was the impetus for creating the organization? Okay. We started um, in earnest the Sandy Hook shootings okay. happened in December 2012. Um, the the timing, as as none of us will ever forget, was that that was um, during Advent in December, weeks before Christmas, um, and it was a time in my life as a pastor and a um, weekly preacher that I couldn't not pay attention to what had happened, and so I. Uh, preached about that um, that Sunday, and then Christmas Eve rolled around, and it was still so fresh sure. that, again, it came up. And then um, a group of us just started meeting uh, in our boardroom uh, on Tuesday nights. Uh, it wasn't always the same group of people, but people would wander in and out, and we said, we're just going to sit with uh, with this, with Sandy Hook, with gun violence, um, and, um, and and talk about it. And so we had many Tuesday nights of, um, uh, you know, some tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes when we didn't have a particular direction, there were, you know, with some anger expressed. There were personal stories shared. Um, and then that grew into... Um, inviting other churches into the conversation. And so there were a group of churches near us uh, that there would be a couple of people uh, who might join us on a Tuesday night from another congregation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it grew from that into not everyone was Christian who was coming on those Tuesday nights. And so we became a multi-faith huh coalition of folks. And um, so we very, uh, we started about as grassroots as you could, you could start. Um, And we started, um, you know, hosting events, um, uh, vigils, uh, and um, panel discussions and things. We started that really before we had a full organization, we sort of um, hit the ground running and then formed as an organization as we were going. So um, it's it's fun to revisit those roots sometimes um, to to show that good things happen when uh, well as Jesus would say when two or three are gathered right yeah of how it how it started and um, Sandy Hook was the impetus for that uh, but certainly uh, I had been 
uh, grieving over so many um, gun violence events since then. And I had become aware uh, when there was a shooting at Chardon High School, which is um, a, suburb, a suburban high school near uh, the church I was serving, mm-hmm. families who were there that day. Uh, fortunately, they were not um, shot, but they were there in the cafeteria when the shooting happened. Mm-hmm. I started talking to the youth in our church and found out um, that they were already they were doing drills and they were they were they'd been on lockdown and it didn't matter what school they went to uh, public or private or uh, religious uh, or charter um, they all were going through this and this was in 2012 and mm-hmm. only increased since then so it really came from um, the idea that our you know what what kind of a world are we are we building for our children right right. Uh, one of the things that we had mentioned just briefly before we began the program uh, is the fact that uh, it doesn't really make sense. It's not accurate to talk about instant instances of recent gun violence uh, as if suddenly we haven't had an experience of that for a while and suddenly we do. Can you actually share your response about how you look at that? Absolutely, because when, as I said, we started in the wake of of the Sandy Hook shootings and that was... Um, after building through other mass shootings, um, uh, that um, level of involvement for us. But it was a very quickly, very quickly, um, we uh, became more aware than we already were of um, the daily toll of gun mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. My church was in an entering suburb in Cleveland, and we started looking at um the entire county um, around us and the number of gun deaths every day. Mm-hmm. And that even though it's mass shootings that grab our attention, uh, at least for a news cycle, um, and it might increase um, people's awareness uh, where that shooting happened, but the greater toll is every day. Um, the latest figures, the latest official figures are that there are 109 people killed every day single day in our country. And that amounts to about 38,000 for the year. Those numbers are likely larger now uh, because that data is a couple of years old and um, gun deaths are on the rise again. So yes, it's it's the the daily toll uh, in in our neighborhoods and in our homes. uh, and and you know whatever whatever grabs our attention that causes us to move our awareness into advocacy, mm-hmm. you know it's good that there's that awareness. But we we never do a vigil um, around a major event without also remembering who has been killed um, in Cleveland during that same time period. Right, right. Um, I'm curious, Chris. Uh, so. Obviously, this has been a concern. It sounds like this was a concern for you even well before Sandy Hook and your passion for justice was around mm-hmm. before that time. Right. Um, what have you noticed or have you noticed any change in the way that Americans seem to be viewing um, gun violence or the struggles that we seem to have as a country being able to talk about gun ownership in the context of gun safety and so mm-hmm. on? Um, do you feel like there's a shift in public opinion about this, and and in what, and if so, in what way? Um, I believe that there is. 
Um, we see it uh, whenever we are at the state house or in the halls of Congress, or we are uh, any, any other place where we are together with other gun violence prevention groups, that the numbers on our side are growing. Uh, there are a number of organizations now, uh, and we have learned how to work together and how to collaborate and cooperate with each other. Um, we have seen the difference in, uh, in midterm elections where candidates who at one point uh, a few election cycles ago would never have mentioned gun violence or gun control or gun reform or anything to do with guns uh, as part of their platform. And in the uh, uh, midterms in 2018, for example, it was, um, it was a number one issue for uh, for many candidates, and it was uh, a winning issue. So certainly we see we see numbers like that. Uh, we also uh, know from polling that um, vast majorities of Americans favor things like background checks mm -hmm. uh, or red flag laws um, or um, uh, child access prevention laws. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many states that have such laws. Um, they are um, among the, the public, public opinion. Um, they are strongly favored. Um, so yes, we, we have seen growth, even though certainly what is called to our attention um, is you know, inaction on the, uh, on the national level. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, some of our leaders um, not not looking at um, uh, necessarily the will of uh, of ninety percent of Americans who favor background checks, for one example. Yeah. What do you feel um, about the language that we use when we talk about guns? You know, it seems like <laughs> we can't use language in a way that doesn't automatically put us in some kind of conflicted position. Gun control, <laughs> gun safety gun violence, you know, all these terms have gotten kind of muddied up when they're placed next to each other. How do you, uh, how do you help us with this? How do we get help with this? Well, um, if, if we could figure that out um, in this podcast, um, I would appreciate that, certainly. Uh, it would make our job easier. But it also, be a longer uh, podcast. It, the, uh, the uh, rhetoric around um, any hot button issue right now is, is so tough. <clears throat> But certainly gun violence, yes. Um, people want, want to know that their Second Amendment rights will be um, respected. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, want to trust that um, a, a red flag law is not going to be a slippery slope into government confiscation of guns, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They're extreme views. Um, we just try to keep the message, uh, the message, uh, a positive one of, of you know, this is um, uh, background checks are something that gun owners uh, can agree uh, on that if you own a gun, you should have to go through a background check. If you're a gun owner, well, okay, I went through a background check, then the, you know, someone else wanting to own a gun should go through the same thing. And to Common sense, common sense, common sense. We, we, we say that um, a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, 
actually about one third of American households are gun owners. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, one third of Americans are uh, households are gun owners, but about three percent of Americans own about a third of the total number of guns in our country. Mm. In other words, a very small percentage of Americans own a lot of guns, Mm -hmm. Uh, an average of 40 guns for that over uh, 100 million guns. So um, quite often the loudest voices are the extremist voices. Uh, or the um, uh, powerful voice up until recently of the NRA uh, promoting um, promoting um, uh, gun ownership uh, in a way uh, to appeal to that extreme rather than the vast majority of gun owners who respect um, the right to own a gun uh, and um, to have it for hunting or personal protection in their homes, but um, are not um, are not advocates right. of us arming ourselves against each other, uh, for an example. Um, and we we ask at our organization, uh, we we are not anti-gun ownership. And uh, certainly there are members of our organization who own guns. Mm-hmm. But we uh, believe that the commandment, uh, thou shalt not kill, um, ought to be in a higher position than the Second Amendment. Uh, we believe that um, we ought to worship God in the ways that um, our faith leads us um, to worship God rather than worshiping um, a gun. Uh, so that's why we're named as we are, God before guns. Uh, that says nothing um, about um, that you cannot own a gun. It is the law that you can. But we do not believe um, that comes before our faith in each other uh, and our faith in God that calls us to live peaceably among each other. Pastor Chris, how much of the conversations you have um, in your work is about the kind of guns that people own. I feel like as a consumer of news, I see, you know, obviously I see these these big events and I see military style weapons. And I feel like there's a there's a big difference between someone owning that and some and 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 more hunting or personal protection. And I how much of your conversations are about that kind of a thing? Um Certainly, um, um, there's lots of conversation around that, and we only uh, need to experience another mass shooting in which, um, you know, 20 people can be killed in, you know, a matter of a couple of minutes um, for for us certainly um, to favor that that weapons like that should not be um, readily available and so easy to buy. Uh, You don't use a weapon like that for hunting. You don't, um, a weapon like that is not the, uh, a particular weapon of choice um, for you to have um, in your home to protect against, you know, a home invasion. So, you know, certainly um, that is part of the conversation. And 
We live in Ohio, which is an open carry state, which means that you can carry any sort of weapon openly uh, in public. Uh, and, and how do you distinguish between someone who has an assault rifle, um, you know, over his shoulder um, that he's a good guy uh, and someone else has um, a weapon um, like that and is going to use it for mass destruction? Yes, there, there are certainly acceptable uses of guns um, and um, some of that is protected by the Second Amendment. However, there is no amendment to our Constitution that is unlimited and without any sort of consideration or restrictions. Mm -hmm. Have you found common cause with um, some groups that advocate for gun ownership? They're particularly concerned about the respect of their Second Amendment rights. Um, who joined with you? and in common cause? Um, I, I would say that it's, it's still um, difficult um, for um, uh, extremists, um, gun extremists, um, to have reasonable conversation with our organization. But as I said, um, that is a, um, a minority. It's a vocal minority. Uh, it has been a well-funded minority. Uh, but gun owners, uh, certainly, as I said, there's, there's, you know, when, when we're having a, a vigil, um, we don't know who is a gun owner and who isn't. But we certainly would know who would show up in protest of a vigil armed. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 tough to have a conversation if if uh, if someone insists on bringing a weapon into the a loaded weapon into the conversation with them. Mm -hmm. But that's not most gun owners. Yeah, yeah. I'm calling back on personal experience a little bit. I grew up in okay. when I was in high school and uh, just prior to the opening of deer season every year. You know, it was incredibly important for a significant, I'll say a significant minority of my high school population mm -hmm. you know, to get the license for hunting, to be trained properly in the use of a weapon. You know, it was a huge, huge, I, I would still call it a rite of passage, you know, and so I remember mm -hmm. that. And I think, <clears throat> I think that group of people, as I've talked with them over the years, I don't know a lot of those individuals, certainly not as much as I did then, but they in some ways feel targeted, uh, you know, like they're, they're being made to, they're being lumped in with some category that they don't feel that they're a part of, you know? Well, then I, I would encourage, uh, uh, I would encourage uh, uh, hunting uh, groups, and I know they're out there, um, to make public statements uh, of what they believe about their guns uh, and how they use their guns. Mm -hmm. And where they think that uh, we have taken um, Second Amendment rights too far, or where um, you know that um, what 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 common sense um, legislation would they support uh, to use their voices in that way? Um, you know, I think uh, when when you look at the numbers of ninety percent of Americans agreeing on background checks, um, ninety percent of Americans don't agree on much of anything. Uh, that's a lot of Americans, but certainly a lot of that ninety percent is pretty quiet about it. Uh, and um, we could use those voices um, in in the movement. 
Yeah. It's reminding me of an old phrase that someone said, you know, we always like to talk about practice what you preach. It's, yes. all, it's equally important to preach what you practice, right? Absolutely. So, so other people know where you stand on things. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and we we find that once once people are um, are aware of the issue, the extent of the issue, the numbers of people who are killed and how the numbers are trending up and how laws actually do make a difference in a state that they move from that level of awareness hmm. to some sort of advocacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or activism. Uh, but you have to have that awareness first um, and and to have encouragement then to use your voice. Um, Chris, maybe one final question, you know, as, as groups are getting together, uh, in communities of faith, much like your group started uh, in a very humble kind of way, and Mm -hmm. then it grew from there. Uh, if this, if groups like that are looking for two really good books to read that would help Mm -hmm. their discussion, what would you recommend? Okay. Um, I'm going to push it and I'm going to name three. One has not been published yet, but I want to give you a, you know, a, a hint that it's coming. Okay. The, the first book I would mention is a book called Beating Guns. Okay. Uh, author is Shane Claiborne and Michael Martin. And I don't know if the name Shane Claiborne is familiar to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Shane uh, and Michael did a tour of the United States um, a couple of years ago. Uh, we were their stop in Cleveland where they melted down guns to turn them into guard tools, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, beating swords into plowshares. Uh-huh. We participated with Shane um, uh, and melted down an AR-15. Uh, and it was, and uh, I should have brought it with me so I could hold it up, but it's, uh, it's now a garden tool. But Shane has written a wonderful book, Beating Guns, and it's Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. Okay. So it's very... Um, it, it talks a lot about, uh, it's very scriptural. It um, uh, talks a lot about the history of Christianity be- before the NRA, uh, but it's, uh, it, it talks about people opening their hearts. Okay. If we solve this issue, it's not just about laws. It's going to be because we have opened our hearts um, to, to the issue. Um, the other book is um, very recent. And I just finished reading it. It's called Children Under Fire. It's written by John Woodrow, Woodruff, John Woodrow Cox, who is a Washington Post reporter, uh, who in the book follows the lives of um, two children, especially, and a few other children who have been affected by gun violence, one through a school shooting and one with his father being killed in Washington, D.C., and it's a, a good combination of, of really good research, but also really following the lives of these children and talking about how gun violence has affected, since the Columbine shootings, there have been over 250,000 children who were in school buildings where there were shootings. Mm. So, you know, looking at that, at that toll, and I would highly recommend um, that book. It was just published this year. Okay. Then the the third book I would recommend um, is coming out in July. It's written uh, by an Episcopal priest, Reverend Rosalind Hughes. And the name of it is Whom Shall I Fear? Urgent Questions for Christians in an Age of Violence. Mm. The reason I bring it up today, even though it's not published yet, is um, I've read the book 
And I think it will be an excellent way for congregations who are starting on a conversation about gun violence, mm-hmm. who are thinking specifically about how am I going, am I safe in my church building on a Sunday morning? Are our children safe in Sunday school? But it's a way of looking at the questions that we are asking ourselves now, but looking at the questions through the lens of the gospel, Mm. rather than the latest security software or security companies um, that are bidding for your attention right now. Um, Looking at this through who we are as Christians, what we believe and how we expect to live as followers of Jesus. So um, I'll shoot you a note when the uh, when the book actually comes out, because I will be an excellent book for uh, group study in churches that are starting to explore this question. Wonderful resources. And, you know, part of what I'm picking up, too, today, Chris, and it's been so wonderful to have you back uh, again. But you really framed this over and over again today in our conversation in terms of, you know, this wonderful historic Christian witness on peacemaking. This is not as if it's something that's, you know, suddenly arose in response to. This has been something that comes, it's rooted, right, in our Judaic uh, Christian tradition. And so you've really elevated that uh, for us. Thank you. um, Thank you for hearing that. Um, The two scriptures that I especially look at, the two stories from the New Testament, are um, Jesus right before his death, where he tells Peter to put down the sword. Mm -hmm. When that would have probably saved Jesus' life at that moment. But he tells uh, Peter, no swords, no weapons. Mm -hmm. Other is um, Jesus, when he takes that child and holds the child in his arms, much to the disciples' chagrin. They don't want him to take time with the child, but he holds that child. Now, that child was not Jesus' son or daughter. That child likely was not a son or daughter of the disciples, Mm -hmm. but he or she was a child. We are called um, as adults, as followers of Jesus, to hold children close in our arms and to keep them safe and allow them to grow up uh, in a world without fear um, of each other, uh, whether or not they are our children. So that's a call for all of us in any church. Right. Wow. Chris, thank you so much. You're welcome. Wonderful conversation and blessings to you and God for guns as you continue the work that you're doing. Thank you. However, we can be a resource to you. You know where we are. We do indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.